party leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. The history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Welcome to Cinema Sugar Bobs. I'm your host, Dan, from SlipThroughMovies.com, bringing you sweet spoonfuls of movie news and reviews from a movie nerd who loves the color purple right alongside Back to the Future. Aside from the usual three scoops of geeky goodness, there's a throwback Thursday retro pick of the week, plus a nerdy hypothetical dilemma for you called Would You Rather? Art versus Popcorn. There's also the daily Netflix picks plus the raised eyebrow segment with the review of the new trailer for Jack Reacher 2. Let's dig into our three scoops. First, after a word from our sponsor. These eyes know how I feel about wearing contact lenses. They're kind of like blue jeans. Comfortable. Natural. These eyes. Everybody says I look better without glasses, but uh, know what I can't believe? Seeing better. Nothing in the way. With contacts, it's just me. These eyes. And what I see. See your eye care professional for proper fitting and care. Contact lenses. You won't just look better, you'll see better. Our first scoop digs into what John Boyega has lined up next. This is one of the stars of Star Wars The Force Awakens. He played our hero Finn and was more recently announced as a star of the upcoming Pacific Rim 2. More recent news has him cast in Catherine Bigelow's next film. This is the director of Point Break, Hurt Locker, and Zero Dark Thirty. She's doing an untitled project about Detroit. It's a crime drama written by Mark Ball, the screenwriter of Hurt Locker. This story is set against the backdrop of Detroit in 1967, amid the city's devastating riots that took place over five summer days. The film is about systemic racism in urban Detroit and is being targeted for a 2017 release date for the 50th anniversary of the riots. This synopsis comes to us from Deadline.com. So not only is Boyega starring in big adventure films, he's also trying his hand at some drama here, and this should bode well for his career. The Detroit riots and what it revealed about the country is still just as prevalent nowadays, so it's an important subject for a big-name director like Bigelow to tackle. Next, she's pretty choosy about what she directs, so that alone must indicate that this is a project worth keeping your eyes peeled for. Meanwhile, Boyega's playing his newfound startup pretty smart. He's uh, set up his own production company with a business partner, and he's co-producing the sequel to Pacific Rib. He's also got upcoming projects, including The Circle, starring Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, as well as a remake of Watership Down. As always, stay tuned for more news as it develops. Our next scoop digs into more indie artsy territory, talking about a new documentary. Keto Lorber has just acquired rights to Keith Maitland's animated documentary, Tower, 
which details the story of the lone gunman who climbed a clock tower at the University of Texas in 1966, shooting 49 people and killing 17 in what has come to be known as America's first mass school shooting. Once again, this synopsis comes to us from Deadline.com. And once again, this is about a racial issue, which is subject matter I'm really interested in. And it's also a documentary, which is one of my favorite genres. I try and watch a few new documentaries each week. Like a lot of the best documentaries, this one will include recreations of known historic events. Unlike most documentaries, it's mixing old footage with rotoscope animation. That's uh, the style when you draw over filmed footage, for example. Like has been done in uh, other documentaries like uh, Waltzing with Bashir and Searching for Sugar Man. So this cool style definitely makes the documentary more interesting, but so should the subject matter. While a lot of us might be familiar with the story of this uh, campus shooting, a documentary will give us a more inside glimpse and perhaps explain what happened and why a bit better. The CEO of Keto Lorber, Richard Lorber, talked about acquiring this documentary. And he's quoted as saying, Tower is the rarest of documentaries, seamlessly melding artistry and advocacy. And Keith's brilliant filmic strategy animation distances us from the numbing historical reality that began as a painful, unprecedented news event. Watching this graceful, immersive work of art, we let down our defenses to fully absorb the meaning of the nightmare and deeply feel the emotions of his characters. It cannot be a more important and timely contribution to the coming congressional confrontation over gun control in light of the latest tragedy in Orlando. It's a must-see for every community in America, and we could not be more committed to help make that happen. So it sounds like the producer is really behind this film, and is pushing for the importance of the subject matter. Keep your eyes peeled for Tower. Our last scoop digs into the first full-length trailer for Birth of a Nation. There was a teaser released earlier, and while I reviewed that, I feel like this new trailer brings the movie back into conversation, which is great because Birth of a Nation is one of my most anticipated films of the year. This story is set before the Civil War in the South and focuses on a slave who preaches and his owner uses that to subdue the rest of the slaves. It is long before he has a change of heart and leads an uprising with the rebellion. This kind of concept focused on a uh, battle or uh, rebellion is a good excuse to talk about history and this is an important part of it that deserves to hit the big screen unfortunately there's not a lot of movies like this getting made and the star of this film nate parker did what you're never supposed to do in hollywood he invested his own money into the movie not only that he's also directing the film and it definitely paid off Birth of a Nation won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award at Sundance, and then it was bought for a record-breaking $17.5 million. So before you say Oscar bait, it's clear that this is a passion project for Nate Parker. He's never burst into the big time, 
That doesn't mean he doesn't have big-time talent. Parker recently co-starred in one of my favorite hidden gems, Beyond the Lights, with Gugu and Botha Ra. He's definitely a talent worth keeping your eyes on, and with Birth of a Nation sure to contend for Oscars, his next project should get even more buzz. This new trailer showed a bit more characters, a bit more dialogue, and gave a better indication of the story, although I liked the less contemporary music in the earlier teaser trailer. Here they have the song Rise Up, but in the first sneak peek, we got uh, Nina Simone's Strange Fruit, which was even more haunting. This new trailer highlights one of my favorite images from the first one, and that is a white girl playing with a little black girl. They're skipping along the front lawn of the big house, but the white girl's leading the black girl with a noose around her neck, and they seem totally oblivious to what that really indicates. This haunting image is part of what makes our preacher change his mind about his deal with the master. I can't wait to see Birth of a Nation. If you haven't heard of it yet, check out this new trailer and spread the word. Alright, before we get into our special features, let's hear another word from our cheeky little sponsor. Folks have sure gone Hollywood since renting movies got easy as 7-Eleven. Silverado is a cinematic tour de force, don't you think? It's a poetic blazing saddle. It's a new wave in Western. 7-Eleven has all the top hits 24 hours a day. There's a photodynamic restraint to Rambo that's unique. And the price? Universal spent $22 million on this, baby. And you get it for peanuts. Now movies are as easy as 7-Eleven. You have, oh God, oh thank heaven. <laughs> Alright, it's Thursday. Time to get your retro nerd on with our Throwback Thursday retro pick of the week. Today I'm reaching into the way back of the 1980s for Crawl. This B-movie done right debuted in 1983 and made $16 million at the box office. So it wasn't a huge hit on the big screen, but it had a big life on home video. I remember renting this on VHS more than a few times. What a lot of 80 kids might remember of this movie is The Glaive. That's the name of the weird bladed weapon our hero uses in this sci-fi fantasy hybrid. Crawl is the name of a distant planet where an evil creature called the Beast totally destroys the world's army and kidnaps the princess. Our hero leads a band of warriors to free the damsel in distress. So the plot's rather cliched, but it's uh, it's got 80s charm all over it, and it's definitely popcorn-munching fun. This is one that is so cheesy decades later that you can have a good time making fun of it, too. You're going to get creatures, totally retro special effects. Really, watching this is going to be like time-traveling. That's why it's perfect for a Throwback Thursday retro pick. It may be a guilty pleasure, but it's alright to like Crawl. Okay, let's dig into our other Thursday special feature. Would you rather art versus popcorn? This movie nerd Deleba asks you if you could only see 10 movies from any given year, 
Would you rather watch the top 10 blockbusters or the best picture nominees at the Academy Awards? Today we're looking at the year 1985, where the Oscars nominated five movies for best picture, which means I added five honorable mentions for the top 100 films at the box office. This helps it be an even 10 versus 10 movie nerd battle, art versus popcorn style. With this sort of cinephilian hypothetical dilemma, you gotta imagine that uh, you've never seen these movies and never would until you pick which side you're on. So it should be a lot of fun for movie nerds. Let's look at the art side of the coin. In 1985, the Oscar winner for Best Picture was Out of Africa, starring Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. There were some other good nominees, like Witness, starring Harrison Ford, and The Color Purple, directed by Steven Spielberg. For the podcast edition, I'm only going to talk about a couple movies, but if you want the real deal, hop on over to the website, slipthroughmovies.com, and enjoy the full tasty menu. Color Purple was the first time Spielberg really took himself a bit more seriously. He was a popcorn director, doing stuff like E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Jaws, but he wanted to try making some art, so he adapted the book by Alice Walker. This is the story of a young girl growing up on a plantation and the atrocities that happened to her, not only from her odors, but from her own family. Uh, This is a heartbreaking film that's hard to watch, but it's definitely worthwhile. This one made a star out of Whoopi Goldberg, who most of us remember as a comedian, but she really shows her dramatic chops in this one, and it's a shame she never really went back to more drama. Oprah Winfrey also co-starred in this one, stripping herself of all her makeup to reveal the horrors of the era, and she was really captivating in her role. Color Purple may not be the most talked about Spielberg movie, but it's definitely one you gotta check out if you're a fan of his work, but haven't really dug into his entire resume yet. I'm saying Color Purple's worth tracking down. For the honorable bedshed, the top 100 had a few good ones worth picking. I included movies like Mask, starring Cher, Eric Stoltz and Sam Elliott, and the hard-boiled crime drama To Live and Die in L.A. But the one I want to talk about most for the podcast is The Breakfast Club, written and directed by John Hughes. This one starred some of the best members of the 80s Brat Pack. I'm thinking of Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, and Judd Nelson. John Hughes knew his audience and didn't talk down to them. He wrote some of the best teenagers to ever hit the big screen, and The Breakfast Club may be the best example of his work. It's got a lot of comedy, but it's also got a lot of drama. Most of it is through brilliant character work. He nails the dialogue, but he also nails relationships. This movie is about a group of students in detention for the weekend. They've never met each other, and they're forced to hang out for the day. Each of them represent a different clique from their high school. You got the nerd, you got the jock, you got the outcast, you got the loner, and you got the rich girl. A lot can be said about The Breakfast Club for how it influenced a whole generation 
as well as how it captured it. This is another fantastic movie to time travel with. Alright, let's flip this coin to the popcorn side, where the number one movie in 1985 was Back to the Future, raking in $211 million. This may not seem like a lot by today's standards, but this is not adjusted for inflation. There's some interesting things to note when looking at the box office in 1985. Back in this decade, the top 10 included the best pitchers at the Oscars, with three out of the top 10 up for the Academy Award. Nowadays, an Oscar winner might not even crack the top 100, because there's just so many special effects-filled blockbusters available. So because there was some art in this popcorn, I went to the next numbers. On the top 10 front, some big-time 80s actors had a few hits. I'm thinking of Chevy Chase with Spies Like Us and Fletch, but most importantly you have Sylvester Stallone with the number 2 and 3 movie of the year, Rambo 2 and Rocky 4. For this popcorn side of the equation, I want to talk about The Goonies, which was the ninth biggest blockbuster of the year, making $61 million. This That's So 80s family adventure is filled to the brim with fun and was produced by Steven Spielberg. This is about a group of young friends going on a truly epic adventure by following a hidden treasure map. This is a lot of fun and not just for the booby traps. These kids are hilarious. They crack jokes while they go on a Pirates of the Caribbean type quest. These aren't the your sugar-coated Boy Scouts. These are your outsiders who talk like real kids. So there might be a little bit of swearing in there. And it may seem a bit more uh, abrasive than today's family film. That doesn't mean today's kids shouldn't watch this movie. I'm sure parents everywhere pass this on to the next generation because it's that good. I must have watched this a hundred times in my life. Uh, if you haven't watched The Goonies and you're a big movie nerd, you gotta check it out. The other movie I gotta talk about is Back to the Future, also produced by Steven Spielberg. Even though Spielberg represented art with color purple, he still got his popcorn on as a producer on a couple of these top 10 blockbusters. But I digress. Back to the Future is really the baby of Robert Zemeckis. He would go on to make movies like Contact, Forrest Gump, and Castaway. He also had another hit in the top 10, Jewel of the Nile, a sequel to Romancing the Stone. But Back to the Future is the one that stands the test of time. It got several sequels and people still talk about it today. This one starred Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in a time-traveling adventure. What high school kid hasn't wondered what their parents were like when they were their age? Well, our hero played by Michael J. Fox gets to find out when he goes back in time with his DeLorean. When he's there, he meets his parents, and he's got to make sure they fall in love and get together so he still exists in the future. Problem is, his mom meets him in the past and finds him kind of cute. A lot of jokes spiral out from this, and... It really is one of the most fun adventures ever. It's got tons of quotes, tons of memorable sequences, plus it's got an amazing score and soundtrack. This movie is fun from every angle and is one of my favorite films of all time. 
That's why when it comes to this week's Would You Rather, Art versus Popcorn, I'm making mine popcorn all the way. Once again, if you want to dig in a little deeper, check out the full special feature article at SlipThroughMovies.com. It's about that time for the Netflix picks of the day. First up, I'm recommending the movie called Wild. This 2014 drama starred Reese Witherspoon. She plays Cheryl Strayed in this true story. Witherspoon's character is still dealing with her mother's death. She's recently divorced and she feels like all is lost. She decides to hike along the Pacific Crest Trail to find herself. Thing is, she has no experience hiking. So this becomes a grueling adventure. But if she can get through it, she'll prove something to herself. That she's a lot stronger than she thinks. This is a performance-based movie. But that doesn't mean it's straightforward. The visual directing matches well with the fractured storytelling where we have narrations guiding us through the past and back to the present. While it is grim and at times depressing, this is an uplifting experience overall. Reese Witherspoon delivers a totally captivating performance. She's magnetic. She draws you in. You can feel what she feels and you, and in a way, you feel a bit better about yourself along the way too. It even inspires you to want to do something similar. Uh, This is just great storytelling with great characters. The impact is even more because it's a true story. For my next recommendation, I'm talking about The Last Witch Hunter starring Vin Diesel. This one looked laughingly bad when it debuted in the cinemas uh, last year. It's a dark fantasy adventure. It feels like a mix of Highlander, Warlock, and the Mummy movies. Vin Diesel's a huge fan of Dungeons and Dragons, and this looks like his as close as he'll get to making a Dungeons and Dragons movie. There's a lot of fantasy elements and a lot of cool creatures and magic, and all that stuff works pretty well. This, I'd say, Last Witch Hunter is a B-movie done right. It's not like it's worth the the theatrical admission, but it's definitely worth streaming for free on Netflix. I'd say it's worth the watch for fans of the genre. Sometimes you want a turn-your-brain-off B-movie adventure, and this one fits the bill. It's done with a larger budget than most B-movies, so the spectacle works a lot better, and it's overall... This is a pretty cool movie, and isn't worth crapping on as much as it may have seemed from those earlier trailers. I'd say it's worth a second chance, and perfect for streaming on Netflix. Before we get into our final special feature, how about a word from our sponsor? Let's close out this episode with the daily special feature segment 
the raised eyebrow for movie news that makes you go, whoa. Today we got a review of the trailer for the brand new Tom Cruise action flick, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Tom Cruise knows how to pick his projects. Say what you like about his personal life, his movies are amazing. He's kicking butt in the Mission Impossible series while he's doing other standalone movies like Edge of Tomorrow and Jack Reacher. But now Jack Reacher has a sequel. If Mission Impossible is Tom Cruise's version of Bond, then Jack Reacher is his version of Jason Bourne. This isn't based on spectacle or big stunt work like Mission Impossible. This is based on more political intrigue or head-to-head combat. This trailer made Jack Reacher 2 seem like lots of fun. And the first one was surprisingly good, too. It had a smart story for the genre, and it delivered on the excitement. The sequel looks to do it just as well. Jack Reacher Never Go Back is directed by Ed Zwick, the guy behind stuff like Glory and Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Once again, Cruise is with a director who knows his craft and knows how to tell a story from the first sneak peek alone, I'm sold. There's not too many action heroes like Tom Cruise out there who take their stuff so seriously. So we can't take them for granted. When it comes to an adult thriller with exciting action sequences, I'm really looking forward to Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Before I go, it's time to play Six Degrees of Trivia! You already know how to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, then you already know what to do. Except instead of one of the stars of Flatliners, we're subbing him out and plugging in two actors related to this episode. Today I'm thinking we try and connect John Boyega to Michael J. Fox in six movies or less. If you want to join in the fun, leave your solution in the comments below or tweet me at SlipThroughNerd. Thanks for listening to Cinema Sugar Bombs. Stay tuned for Saturday, where I'll hit you with this weekend in box office history. Plus the special feature, Pitch This, proposing a remake, sequel, or adaptation that needs to hit the big screen. Until then, stay retro. What the hell happened here? It's a fight. One guy took them all down with his bare hands. He's still in there. Turn around, mister. Let me see your hands. Slowly. Aggravated assault is a felony in this state, Mr. Reacher. Process him and get him to county. Two things are going to happen in the next 90 seconds. Excuse me? First, that phone over there is going to ring. Second, you're going to be wearing these cuffs on your way to prison. (laughs) Well, that is one magnificent prophecy, Mr. Reacher. Just going to keep on ringing.